How many of you remember my story about the Limburger cheese? Some of you do. Some of you don't. How many haven't heard it? Do you all know what Limburger cheese is? It's a, it's a cheese that has a very unpleasant odor. Just to put it in the vernacular, it stinks. My wife's grandfather loved it. It was one of his favorite. He just loved Limburger cheese. How many of you here have eaten, eaten durian, the fruit? Some have, okay. They say it tastes good if you can get past the smell. And in fact, in, in uh, Singapore, it's against the law to take durian on board a bus because the, f- the smell is so offensive uh, that uh, they, they don't want you to offend the public by taking durian on, on the public transportation in, in Singapore. <clears throat> I don't think they've said anything made in a law like that in, about, about Limburger cheese. But I enjoyed the story, so I want to tell it to you again about the dear lady whose husband went to sleep. You remember that part? And not only did he go to sleep, he snore. And this happened every Sunday. About five minutes into the sermon, his head would begin to nod, and and he would begin to snore. And she was so embarrassed about the whole affair that she made an appointment with the pastor and said, now, pastor, either we're going to solve this problem or I'm going to quit coming to church. It's so embarrassing to me. We've got to do something. She said, now, what can, what can, what can you do? What can, what can we do about this? He said, well, look, this is very simple. He said, you go home this week, and he said, you go to the grocery store, and you get you just a little piece of Limburger cheese, put it in a Ziploc bag, and put it in your purse. And come Sunday morning, uh, when, when he begins to sleep and snore, what you do is you reach into your purse and get a little pinch of that Limburger cheese and rub it in his mustache. And it will keep him awake. Wonderful, wonderful. It was the solution to a big problem. So she went home and bought the Limburger cheese and put it in a Ziploc bag in her purse and... Sunday morning came, and sure enough, he's preaching along, and the head starts to nod. And he's just about ready to snore, and she puts a pinch of this Limburger cheese in his mustache. And in the middle of the service, he jumps up, and his hands fly up, and he says, Hey, Mabel, get your feet off of my pillow! (laughs) So if you go to sleep, I'm going to put some Limburger cheese in your mustache. I enjoy that, and uh, I, never, I never get tired of telling that story. You have your outlines, the work of the cross, and the outline is completed. This is the outline we'll publish uh, for, for this particular message. The work of the cross, again, as I said last Sunday, this is a very difficult message because the work of the cross covers so much. It is so vast and comprehensive in all that it does in solving the entire sin problem. Entire sin problem. It, it, it resolves who owns the heavens and the earth. That was resolved on the cross. Satan laid claim to creation before that. He said, Jesus, you worship me and I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. They're mine. And by the time the work of the cross was done, they weren't his anymore. Personal sin, the law, all of the religious things that get in the way of us having a clean conscience before the Lord and joy and salvation. 
the power of sin in our lives, the ultimate power of sin in this world, the ultimate destination of the one who personifies and brought sin into the whole business, Satan himself and his host of demonic powers, wicked spirits. All of this is wrapped up and dealt with on the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You need to know, and I don't say this tritely, Jesus Christ is a winner. God is a winner. The battle has been won. It is finished. It is done. Those were the last words that Jesus said on the cross. Tetelestai. It is having been once and for all and for all time completed and finished. One of the greatest words in all of the scripture. The word that Jesus cried out. The last word they spoke on the cross. Tetelestai. Just absolutely amazing. So when we're dealing with this subject, we try to take just some of the personal implications that affect us directly, that affect our thinking. God's, God's will is for that we will live in joy and in peace and in assurance and not in guilt and defeat and sadness in our lives. So the work of the cross deals comprehensively with so many things. I'll go right to page two because we're, we've got the middle of the page. We're, we're, on, this, we're on this part. We, we were here last Sunday at the close of the message. Page number two. And Roman number one, the glorious dynamics of the personal, divine, infinite, eternal works of the Jesus Christ to save us and to sanctify us. First thing, everything I've done, every sin comprehensively was paid in full. That's A, things I have done. Secondly, what I am. You're a sinner. You're rotten. You're bad. If you weren't so bad, how can you go to God? Look at, look at how you're living. Look at all the bad stuff you do. No, I was crucified. God knew about that bad stuff. He dealt with that. You don't deserve to live. Amen. I deserve to be crucified. But I've been crucified with Christ. Are you getting this? So it deals with the sinner that I am. It's what I am as a sinner. Then we go to page three. Capital letter C. The power of the law to condemn us. Well, that, that first song that we sang had purpose in it. Free from the what? Law. Oh, happy condition. Jesus has died and there is remission. So the law was nailed to the cross, completely fulfilled in the, in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And it can no longer condemn me. Christ is the end. Romans 10, 4, toward the end of that section. Christ is the end. He's the terminus of the law. He completely fills it full. There's nothing that it can ask of you. Nothing that it can ask of me from now on, from then on, from the time he fulfilled it on the cross. The law of God terminated in Christ. It was the terminus. It was the end. It had a purpose. It had a work. And that terminated in Christ through his work on the cross. And the judgments of that law have been fully carried out. There's nothing left to do. And we emphasize that. Now, the devil says, oh, God is displeased with you. He's angry with you. He wouldn't, he wouldn't allow these things in your life. If you live like you should live, you wouldn't be going through these things you're going through. That, that's a horrible lie. 
That's a horrible lie. All of the wrath of God was wrapped up in the judgment of your sins on the cross when Jesus died for your sin. Why was that such an awful death? Man has not invented a more cruel death than crucifixion. And Jesus hanging on that cross in agony, dying in, in a level of pain. I had about two hours, actually about three hours in my life when the pain I thought was going to kill me. I had no idea how I was going to endure it. And I was in the emergency. And I wondered how, how, how. But Jesus went through pain worse than that for hours on the cross. It's God is mad about our sins. He's angry about our sins. He is wrathful toward our sins. That's why Jesus died. That's why the wrath of God was poured out on him there, so that it would not have to be poured out on us. That frees God of the necessity of pouring. It satisfies. It completely fulfills and satisfies the wrath of God. There's no wrath left. Can you believe that? May I repeat that? There is no wrath left. No wrath left. Again, too good to be true. But it's true. God says it's true. Notice now we're at the bottom of page number three and capital letter D, the wrath of God, which is the inevitable and necessary judgment for my sins. Romans 5, God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet what? Sinners. Christ did what? For whom? For me. Okay, let's get personal on these things. Christ died for me. Have you got that? All right. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from what? The wrath of God through him. Okay? There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We are saved through him from the wrath of God. Go to page four, top of page four. He who believes in the Son has what? Eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but what? The wrath of God abides on him. But it's not, he who believes the wrath of God does not. The wrath of God has now been redirected to only those who refuse to believe on him. All right, now look carefully at that verse, John 3, 336. What is the issue of the wrath of God? Here, in this case, it's, it's a decision not to place faith in Jesus Christ. Am I right about that? He who believes has eternal life. The one who does not obey the Son, and that means to be persuaded, to be persuaded will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Men are not judged in hell because they're sinners. I want to repeat that again. Nobody goes to hell because they're a sinner. They go to hell because they do not receive God's remedy. They do not believe in God's Son. That is why 
I don't believe in a loving God would send anybody. No, I don't believe in a loving God would send anybody to hell either. But I can't believe that sinners would turn their, their, their nose up at God and say, I won't have Jesus, your son. I can't believe that either. How can, you, how can you as a human being say that God doesn't love you and you turn your nose up at Jesus Christ and his death on the cross? Now, the effects and ravages of the curse. In Matthew 27, I'm sorry, 9:27, Peter said to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said unto them, Truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration... When the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you shall sit upon the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now you can try to fit that into this morning's message, if you can do it. In the regeneration, in the making things, in 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 the new birth, in the new birth of the universe, the new heavens and the new earth... And, and the Son of Man is going to sit on his glorious throne in the eternal kingdom. The effects and ravages of the curse are going to be completely gone. Paul directly states in Galatians 3, and look at verse number 13 there, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, not the curse of Adam, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Christ redeemed us with a price, the price of his own blood. He bought us up out of the slave market of sin from the curse of the law. He did this in order to deliver us from the ravages of the curse. Peter talks about this regeneration in verse number 12, 1 Peter 3, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So, the work of the cross deals with the effects and the ravages of the curse. Are you looking forward to a new heavens and a new earth? And aren't you glad that none of the present mess is going to get there <laughs> and touch it and touch it? It will not do that. Then we have the power and the claims of Satan. This is absolutely amazing. One of the great things that happened on the cross was that all of the power and claims of Satan were potentially overthrown. I use the word potentially because he's still in business, but ultimately he has nothing left. Colossians 2.15, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through the Lord Jesus. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities. I've got a quote here coming up, so let's move along down this list of verses. Colossians 1, he rescued us from the domain, literally, that's the authority of darkness. That means darkness, Satan no longer has authority over me as a believer. The only authority he can have in my life, coffee time, coffee time, 
The only authority Satan can have in my life is the consent and agreement I give to him when he tempts me and lies to me. If I believe his lies, I become in bondage to his lies. Remember, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Okay? If Satan tempts me to be angry and I decide I'm going, to, I'm going to get angry at somebody and be bitter, that's a stronghold Satan has in my life. That's why I have no joy while I'm bitter. There's a stronghold of Satan in my life. Now, I can, I can confess that and get rid of that and then his, he's gone. Okay? He has rescued me from the authority of darkness. The only authority Satan has in my life is what I give him. And I can take it back because Jesus defeated him on the cross. And when I take it back and confess my sins, there's nothing the powers of darkness can do about that. They cannot stop that. I can choose to, I can choose to love somebody instead of hate them, and they can't, the devil can't stop me from doing that. Huh? I can choose to do right and not to do wrong, and the devil can't stop me from choosing to do right. Yes or no? And I have the right and the power to do it because Jesus has rescued me from Satan's authority in my life through his work on the cross, okay? So he rescued us from the domain of darkness, 1 John 3. The one who practices sin is of the devil. The devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to do what? Destroy the works of the devil. And he will delight to do this in our lives if we will allow him to do so. Jesus made this statement, John 12, Now judgment is upon this world. The ruler of this world will be cast out. Actually, this word cast out is kind of a graphic, graphic, almost a violent word. He'll be literally picked up and thrown out. You see a big bouncer? Have any of you seen a bouncer? Big bouncer? Big 250-pound, 6'5", 7-foot bouncer? Been in wrestling, knows all the martial arts? And you're trying to raise the devil in his establishment, and what does he do? He picks you up by the neck and the pants, and out you go, thrown out. Well, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifest the devil might be thrown out and forcefully evicted and thrown out. That's what God wants to do in our lives. If we'll walk with God, stay in his word, stay in a loving relationship with him, and continually make the right choices, this will happen in our lives. Now, Author unknown, I don't know where I got this. That's why I put this, but these are not my, this is not a quote from me. Look at this carefully and think it through. Be thoughtful now as we go through this. Satan saw the cross, no doubt, as his hour of triumph. Now stop there. Would that be a true statement? Is that, is that how you understand it? What was the devil trying to do? He wanted... Who entered into Judas so that Christ would be betrayed? Satan did. Satan entered into Judas. Why? To kill Christ, to get rid of him. 
You say, now he knew he couldn't do that. No, no, no. There's a judicial darkness that comes to those who reject truth. Satan was self-deceived. He thought he could really defeat Christ. He thought he could be like God. Didn't happen. So it begins, Satan saw the cross, no doubt, as his hour of triumph. In reality, now read on, it was his moment of what? The moment of his, his defeat. Was that true? Yes, indeed. The cross might seem to be a casting down of Christ. In fact, it was a lifting up. The phrase, if I be lifted up, looks to the Savior's death and also his victory over death. By means of the cross, Christ was enthroned. Is that true? Yes, it was. And by means of the cross, Satan is dethroned. Is that true? Today, the devil is out on bail until the final sentencing, but the cross makes his final, makes his defeat final, or marks his defeat and makes it final. So, so that, that is a good quote. In Luke 10, the Lord has sent the disciples out, and I, I, I'm wondering as I go through, my, through this city, and I see, I see all of the depravity, and I see all the people in bondage in our city. We have more than a drug problem. We have a, we have a demonic oppression problem in our city, I believe, with all my heart. If you read the Gospels, just about as many people were coming to be delivered from demon oppression as were coming to be delivered from illness and sickness. Many who were demonized were coming to Jesus. He had a stronghold in their lives, and Jesus, Jesus took that to task. So as he's sending his disciples out, Luke 10, verse 17, the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. He said to them, I was watching. Now the word watching here, I was watching Satan. Again, this is, this is, the, um, this is the word for, for theater. I was observing this thing carefully, watching, watching the motion of the scene. I was watching Satan do what? Fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy. This is one of my favorite statements in all the New Testament. Time for a grammar lesson. Grammar lesson. Grammar lesson. All right. If you want to say something negatively, you use one negative. He did not hurt her. Okay. If you want to get emphatic with it, you put a double negative. He did not in any way hurt her. You got to do double negative and it's emphatic. But this one's a triple negative. It's the only triple negative I know in the New Testament. None of these powers of darkness shall any way, no, not in any way or possible, shall they injure you. A powerful statement. He is assuring them that in him and in his name, their victory is absolute in the end. Do Christians need to be afraid of demons? Absolutely not. Do Christians need to respect their cunning, their ability to lie and deceive? Yes, absolutely. 
We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, world forces of this darkness, spiritual wickedness in the heavenly places. Powerful, yes. All powerful, no. The only one is the that is all powerful is Jesus Christ. And John made a point of this. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Now as a believer, stand up for what's right in your life. Stand for truth. And when lies come to you, you're no good. God doesn't love you. Who is lying to me? This is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit never tells you that. You can't do this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If God wants me to do it, I can do it. You're a liar. Be better. Hate him. Hate her. Absolutely not. You can't make me do that. Christ has conquered you and I'm going to love him. I'm going to love her. And we're getting on with life with the blessing of God. The power of the cross is with us, dear people. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Nothing shall injure you guys. These things can't over now. Skiba. Seven sons of Sceva. Boy, they weren't in touch with God. And they were trying to cast out demons. They were just playing around with this thing. And the demons, the demons overwhelmed them and made a scene of it. Paul, I knew Jesus. I know, but I don't know you guys. But Satan does know us as believers. And we have a right to stand in our lives for that which is right. And to insist that God is glorified and honored. I have that paraphrase there below that Luke 10 thing there. The paraphrase, I was watching, I was observing with my eyes Satan like lightning out of heaven fall. Zip, bang, gone. Now that hasn't happened yet, but that is going to happen. And that, well, he saw ahead of time the ultimate result of what he was going to do on the cross. Romans 6, Romans 6. And this is interesting because when we talk about the fact that we have died we, uh, do you not know that you've been crucified with Christ? You've been buried. Don't you know this? Say, you've been baptized into his death and his resurrection. All of this is here. So let's take a look at Romans 6. Let's see if I can I clean this up with time I've got left. Maybe. Okay, let's, let's move along. Fasten your, you're, you're ready for the ride? Fasten your seatbelts. Okay, let's see. What, let's go here. Now, Romans 6, read along, please. Read these words and think carefully about them. The death that he died, he died to sin once for all. The life that he lives, that's Jesus. He lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in your relationship with Christ Jesus. Therefore, now here's, here's, here's Paul's admonition. And he's not telling us to do something that cannot be done. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Now, the word reign, who reigns? What, what position on earth reigns? A king, a king. Do not let sin be a king in your life reigning over you. 
What would you do? And I, I care not the circumstances, but what would you do if somebody accosted you as you're walking down the sidewalk and threatened your life? Would you say, all right, I'm sorry, you're bigger than me. Kill me if you want. You don't do that. You got no business. Get out of here. Get out of here. If you're, if you're a woman, you'd scratch their eyes out. Literally. It's life and death. And sin is life and death. And Paul is saying, look, Jesus defeated this business on the cross. He gave you a victory in Christ. You have the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Say no to sin. Don't let it reign in your life. Don't let it reign. It doesn't have to reign. It's been defeated. The sinner is gone. The sin is gone. The devil has been conquered. You've been released from the authority of darkness. You don't have to. And when sin comes to you, these temptations that beset you say, I don't have to and I'm not going to. And then ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit of God to make that take effect in your life. Don't let sin reign in your body, in your mortal body. Now notice, so that you may do what the, what's the next word? I'm on verse number 12. Romans 6, verse number 12. Find it. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you may what? Obey its passions its desires, its lusts. Do not go on presenting. Don't make your body, your mind, your heart, do not make your mind available for the wrong kind of thoughts. Do not make your body available for the wrong kinds of things. Do not make your heart available for the wrong kinds of emotions. Listen, when you get into a state of despondency, that never comes from the Holy Spirit of God. The fruit of the Spirit is despondency and defeat and guilt. No way! The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, fidelity, meekness, self-control. We need to be aware of these things. Verse 13 again, look at it. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments or tools of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those alive from the dead. Now, listen, every day you need to present yourself to God a living sacrifice and say, now God, my life is yours, my body is yours, my soul is yours, my spirit is yours, my heart and mind are yours. They belong to you. And I want everything in my life today to glorify your name. Now, if you don't do that, then the devil assumes that he can do whatever he wants in your life. And it's not a mechanical kind of thing or a ritual kind of thing, but it's an attitude of life. And I begin and I complete every day that way in my personal life. I am not available for wickedness, period. I'm available for the purposes of God and for the glory of God. I present myself to God. God, I'm yours. Listen, who besides you decides who you belong to? Your mom, your dad, your neighbor, your husband, your wife, your children. Who decides for you who you belong to? You do. Yes or no? Let's get personal now. Yes or no? 
Every one of us decides personally to whom we belong. That's a decision we make. I belong to God. That doesn't fit into the program. We need to take charge of our lives through the filling of God's Holy Spirit. It's not a willpower thing and a won't power thing. That won't work. That won't work. But he says you present. Do not go on presenting as instant, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. And your members, those, all your faculties, your heart, your mind, your, the, the, the parts of your body, everything is as, as instruments, as tools of righteousness to God. Verse 14, for sin shall not be Lord over you. Jesus is my Lord. I want him to be Lord of my life. I want his lordship to dominate everything in my life. Period. That's an attitude that we assume consciously as believers. Now there's a great gulf of separation between Jews and Gentiles, world ethnic groups. This is amazing. I was watching a creationist video this, this, this week on YouTube. And, and uh, there's a new fellow working um, uh, with... with um, uh, the Genesis group in, uh, in Kentucky with the Ark, and, and uh, he's from Australia, and he was talking about the racial issues of, of the culture and the day in which he lives. And he said, the lie of the devil is that we've got all these races of people. But he said, if you take the Bible and you get the gen- genetics of the Bible, there is only one race, period. There's only one human family. And he was right. There is, biblically, only one race. And that race is born in Adam, and then there's another race that's reborn in Jesus Christ. He's absolutely right. What the devil does is he splits us all up into races, and then he tries to make make hay over all of his lies and deceptions. It is genetically true that we are all of one race. We all came through Noah and his family through the Tower of Babel. And there's just these genetic differences that cause us to look like we're somebody else. And it's the language differences that produce the cultural differences. But we are all one family that got split up because of sin. And Jesus Christ puts us all back together again. And he's the only one that can put us all back together again. In one family, with one common life in Jesus Christ. One common Savior. So in Ephesians, take a look at it. In Ephesians 2, I'm under a capital letter G, the great historic gulf of separation between Jew and Gentile. World ethnic groups, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly were afar off have been brought near. You have literally become near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our what? He settles the issues. He settles the differences. He is our peace who made both groups into what? One. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles here now. But it applies all across the way. And he did what? He broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. You are never going to have racial harmony until you have Christian harmony in Jesus Christ. It won't happen. You can pretend like you love other people. You can smile on your face 
while all this emotional stuff is going on, there is no genuine love for all the races apart from Jesus Christ. There is a phony, a phony thing going on in our nation today. And a, and a, a wicked thing that's going on in trying to divide one race into many races. It's, it's horrible. It's an awful thing. Notice the note there. The work of the cross enables God to reconcile, to reclaim both mankind and all creation for his glory. Notice Colossians 1. It was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Christ and through him to what? Reconcile all things literally into himself so that he is Lord of all, having made what? Peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or in heaven, although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. It's wonderful to be a Christian. I, one of the greatest blessings of my life has been my relationship with, with people from other countries. And, 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 the, 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 just the joy and the brotherhood and the sisterhood that you have that just comes with, 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 doesn't matter where you're going. If you're in Africa, it's there. If you're in Japan, it's there. If you're in China, it's there. If you're in the Philippines, it's there. It doesn't matter. If you're in Germany, it's there. It doesn't matter where you are, it's there. I was told, you know, the first time I went to Japan, you, 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 that's kind of a standoffish culture, kind of cold and unemotional and all that stuff. But when I met the believers there, I said, there's not a word of truth in that. They're, they're part of the family. And they are. I've got a family in Japan. I've got family in the Philippines. I've got family in Singapore. I've got family in Ghana. I've got family in Germany. I've got family all over the world. These are wonderful. I love them genuinely. I don't have to grit my teeth and say, I'm going to tolerate your culture. If you love them, you love the culture. Boy, the Lord does a number to your heart and mind when you get saved. Yes or no? Amazing what it does. Absolutely amazing what it does. My relationship to the world, culture around me is totally turned on its head. Notice in Galatians 6.14, may it never be that I would boast except in what? The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that cross do? Through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. This cuts me off from a godless culture. A godless culture. The work of the cross does it. May the Lord help us to be separated from the godless culture around us. The central importance of the work of the cross of Christ, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Nothing but him and him crucified because that is the foundation for every other benefit, every other blessing, every other standing that I have before God as a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ. It's the work of the cross of Christ. We have a hymn, and I don't think you know it. In the cross of Christ I glory, towering o'er the wrecks of time, all the light of sacred story gathers round its head sublime. It's the work of the cross of Christ 
that is our benefactor. Every blessing, every benefit we have in Christ comes out of his work on the cross. And so may the Lord give us wisdom and understanding. I know that there are none of us here that don't, that don't battle with sin in our lives. None of us. All of us do. All of us do. But we need to realize, awake for one more thing, we are not fighting for victory. We are fighting in a victory that's already been won. You got that? The victory's already been won, and God needs to give us that spiritual connection with that victory that, that brings that, makes that victory a living reality in our lives. And if we stay by the stuff and we choose what is right and we walk with God through these things, victory will come.